get a cup of coffee in here, please? feels like there might have been some coffee thieves in the kitchen this morning. I know I made a big full pot. And then when I came in to do the show called Coffee with the Dog, just enough for one cup. Very disappointing. Very sad. I'm sad. But I will try to pick up my mood a little bit here. This morning, it's titillating Tuesday, titillating Tuesday, titillating Tuesday, titillating, 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 titillating Tuesday. It's Tuesday, January 4th, 2022. Good morning, people. Oh, much to talk about later on uh, around 10 o'clock. I think Brother Dave will be joining me. We might have other people calling in or joining in via video conference this morning. Um, not sure about that, but we'll see. It looks like we may have some people chiming in to help, uh, get us along the day here. I hope you're having a wonderful, uh, year so far, wherever you are. It's been a very, uh, hectic day. Yesterday, I lost, um, 115 subscribers to my YouTube channel in one day. Most I've ever lost in a single day. <laughs> It goes up and goes down, but that's a, a big loss. Usually, when I see the numbers, if it goes down at all, go down maybe two or three. And um, unsubscribing generally is triggered uh, behavior. You, you know, it's easy to subscribe, but to go unsubscribe for something, you have to have, you have to have a reason to do that. Like some people will just subscribe because okay, I feel like. It. But if you're not getting notifications. And it's not in a harassment to you once you hit that subscribe button. You got to really have some emotion tied to that reason for unsubscribing. I tweaked 115 people yesterday. How did I do that, you ask? Well, I talked about Father Joe, um, leader of the cult. And uh, I, all I can say to them is good riddance. There's a show for you. It has 41 million people daily um listening to three and a half hours of um indoctrination and you're welcome to go there i'm sorry if i pissed you off but i'm not going to stop calling out rogan now i'm not gonna talk about him much today at all i don't think i'm gonna mention him again after this little brief intro about how criticizing him i'm more than criticizing him i kind of Came right out and um, called him a liar and a fraud and a whole bunch of other things yesterday in a video. Uh, phone started ringing because my phone number is all over everything, as you know. Uh, and uh, the leader of the Oath uh, Keepers uh, apparently, um, I don't know if it's somebody who... who He's now part of their conspiracy theory. The leader of the Oath Keepers, who was part of the January 6th um, 
insurrection. They're pointing to him as a prob- probable agent provocateur now. Uh, <laughs> leader of the Oath Keepers. Um, he put together this, on, on behalf of the FBI, I guess, put together this radical militia group coming to uh, rally with military gear on. They want to know why he hasn't been charged. Well, he's been cooperating. That's probably why he hasn't been charged. That happens. Uh, He will probably be charged with something when he's done cooperating. But in cases like this, this guy's flipping on people big time, people that he set up. And so he probably will uh, have reduced charges at the end of his cooperation. But before they get to that point, they want to see how far the cooperation is going to go. No big conspiracy there. There was a conspiracy that was proven yesterday in court. That's how real conspiracies look uh, in the real world. It's uh, Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos. Uh, you know about that one. Anyway, that's how real conspiracies look. I'm not going to dwell too much on all that stuff, but uh guy's name is Elmer. What the fuck do you expect from a guy named Elmer? <laughs> You expect rednecks and and MAGA hats and all that kind of stuff. His name is Elmer, for Christ's sake. <laughs> um, Pat Naswalt, trending big time yesterday. I'm sure everybody is well aware of that. But here's the thing that is really uncomfortable for little Pat now. Um, there are several videos. You know, he's in... First of all, what he did is fucking pretty weak. He he went and met with Dave Chappelle, which I totally, you know, support that. I am not one of these guys who thinks Dave Chappelle. First of all, I don't think Chappelle is anti-gay, anti-trans. I just think he has um, a certain perspective on the whole situation that is his and his alone. And it, it, part of his, the stuff he talks about, but I don't think he's a hater. Patton Oswalt went and met with them because they are all friends. Well, I'm not sure how good that friendship is uh, since Patton felt the need to apologize for uh, meeting with Dave Chappelle um, right before the new end of the end of the last year. Listen to anybody who ever might be inclined to deny me <laughs> in the future. Just know that you don't have to apologize for me. You can just throw me completely under the bus, say, fuck Matt Napo. I don't have anything to do with him. I knew him once. I didn't know he was uh, homophobic, transphobic, whatever you want to label me as, uh, even or prejudiced in any way or bigoted in any way. I didn't know he was that way. Fuck him. And don't come meet with me. And But don't ever feel, if you need to apologize for being my friend, just don't be my friend. And this is what Patton Oswalt is doing. He's apologizing to the world for going to meet with uh, somebody he called a friend. Now, that's not much of a friend. Um, and it gets worse because... The obviously the things that he's claiming he has disagreements with Dave Chappelle over uh, their view on um, trans rights, LB, you know, the alphabet, LBTGQ, whatever. Uh, some people don't use the Q. I don't know. I don't know the rules. 
but there are videos on uh and people don't forget man the internet is like a fucking elephant with the memory <laughs> the internet does not forget what you said at least in Patton Oswalt's case maybe if you were Joe Rogan maybe <laughs> they, they tend to forget some of the stupid shit you said but in Patton Oswalt's case there are videos now uh being shared around he makes Dave Chappelle look like um, an advocate for trans rights and, and LBTQ rights. Uh, he's going off on some pretty uh, hard, hard hits on those people in several different videos. I mean, full force. So it kind of looks a little bad for him, uh, a little hypocritical. May, did you evolve since five years ago, six years ago when you do those bits or... Uh, because, and you can find them. Uh, I, I haven't had the time to go dig them out this morning and play them. And I don't, I don't feel like uh, I have a need to, uh, actually play them, but it's just interesting how good morning, Ken. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. I can't read that name. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't read non, um, non-alphabetic <laughs> characters i don't know i don't know what that handle is anyway we have uh we only have a, a very small audience here today but welcome everybody and i hope you are having a great day wherever you are um and you know you just don't go if he's truly friends you, you take your friends for all their um shortcomings all their positive everything they bring to your relationship and you don't feel the need to apologize for the friends you have so I'm just saying, if anybody ever feels the need to apologize for being my friend, don't defriend me and, and throw me completely under the bus. Let's not be friends. Um, and I can understand saying I disagree with Matt Apple on, on certain things, but the idea you need to apologize for your friendships, that's weak and pathetic in my view. Just my view there. Now, you might disagree with me on that. I see some people saying, if you got a problem with Patton, fuck you, you know. Uh, to your fucking problem. I don't have a problem with them. Uh, I have a. <laughs> I'm I'm curious about um, why anybody would ever do that. I I would never, you know, call somebody my friend and then have feel a need that I have to apologize for for being friends with them. But yeah, he, he's got some opinions. I have a I have friends who are. I have a friend who was at at the uh, insurrection. He was smart enough to leave when he saw what was going down. But we have very different opinions on things like politics and stuff. But we're still friends, and I don't have any need to apologize for him. We're still friends. I love him. Good guy. Good heart. Good man. No need to apologize for him. We just see things different on on, uh, uh, on some things. Is Stern actually uh, apologizing? Sean says it's like Stern apologizing for his old bits. Um... Is he? I, I don't I don't follow Howard Stern. I never really was a follower of his uh, or a listener or a loyal listener in any way. But that's different, I think. To say, you, you know, and it depends on how long ago it was. I mean, I know there was stuff that I said 20 years ago. I wish I had not said. Doesn't mean... Um, 
I'm not throwing my older self under the bus in any way. I don't think I was a bad person when I said them. I was, I've changed a little bit. I don't know if it necessarily equates to somebody apologizing for old bits they might have said. But I do think um, with regards to Howard Stern, I do think he has um, made a concerted effort to be the people he used to make fun of. Uh, the people he was against the idea, not the ideology of, I'm not talking politics here. I'm talking about celebrity and fakeness and um, the Hollywood facade of celebrity. He used to be anti that, but I guess that was just a mask for his real celebrity lust, wanting to be near them, wanted to be on the inside. He was an outsider looking in and wanted to be part of that. So a lot of his act early on in life, uh, in his radio career anyway, was overcompensation for the feel, for the fact that he felt left out. But now he, he's kissing ass every way he can to be included in all those people. Um, so that's my take on Stern. I mean, whether he was ever sincere about anything, whether he was sincere about his stuff then or he's sincere about it now, doubtful. Uh, just never was a never was a sincere person in in any uh, area of his life. But um, you know, he's all about success, and, and it worked for him. He's all about he was he's the one thing he was definitely sincere about is <laughs> this idea. That it's all about ratings, all about ratings. That's all he ever cared about was making his mark on the world, on the world of broadcasting. He has done that in a big way. Congratulations, Howard Stern. Um, the Pat Oswalt thing is just curious to me. Moving on, I guess. Moving on. And uh, if you want to, uh, any, anybody has any uh, insights to share about that that I'm missing or you disagree with me on any other stuff, please, I'd love to hear about it. Um, as I mentioned l- later on in the program, Brother Dave will be joining me. You know, uh, I'll explain later when Dave comes on about, and I, I talked about it even before I met him last week about uh, how I I treated him. I gave him what I call what Mikey and I call the mind dog uh, greeting treatment, where I am as big a dick to people when I first meet them as I possibly can be, and there's a reason for that because I know I'm a. a I'm a dick. <laughs> no, at some point in, in in our friendship, if we are friends, I'm going to be a dick to you. And uh, sometimes I mean it, mean to be hurtful. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm just the Asperger's shit comes out, and I I have no filter, and I say stuff that is uh, in your face, offensive to my friends, even or anybody. I can be that way, and I'm well aware of it. So usually when I meet people, I want to put my ugliest side out there first. As a test, if we're going to get along at all, you need to see me at my absolutely most offensive worst. And then if you can handle me at that, then I'm I'm sure we can be friends. But why establish a friendship with somebody when at some point I know 
we're going to end up hating each other over me being a dick. Why? Let's just bypass all that. I'll show you what a dick I can be right up front. <laughs> and so if you're okay with that, then we can move forward. If you're not, then let's just move on and find space in this planet that is uh, enough for both of us to have some room and peace and, and love in our lives. <laughs> and so uh, I, I was that way to Dave. And I'll explain later on may not he may not actually show because and not because he was intend would be intending to stand me up but he has not done the kind of teleconference kind of you know stream yard stuff ever which i find odd for somebody who's a, a musician full-time musician uh you would think everybody has had some experience with a zoom meeting by now wouldn't you and especially in the age of covid you would think uh good morning kevin i uh, hope and you are kevin i have to say man you must have been driving really fast yesterday uh but <laughs> you are an inspiration uh because i know you're not a kid <laughs> and to put in the day that you put in yesterday i honestly don't think i could do that at this age and I'm, i know i'm not saying you're at my age but you're probably not that much younger and so um Hats off to you. If I had a hat on, I'd take it off to you. But then you'd see my bald head all over again. Anyway, 75 miles or so, uh, 75 miles per hour or so. Uh, aren't there stretches out there now? I haven't done it in a long time, but highway where that's actually the speed limit? I don't know. 48 years. Oh, 48 is a baby. Come on. You're like a newborn practically, 48 years old. Uh, you're like you're in your diapers and stuff. 48 i'm just remembering my 48 year <laughs> uh <laughs> anyway um speaking of the age of covid a couple of things maybe i should go back to the transphobic stuff for a second yeah i'll, I'll go back there for a second and put myself at risk of being uh on the Patton oswald's hate list transphobia homophobia what does that mean? Well, phobia means fear. Um, I can say without a doubt, I don't fear any of any of those people or any sexual orientation, any way people live. I don't fear anything as far as people's uh, right to live the life they want to live or in some cases need to live or feel they were destined to live. But I have to say that in the age, and being a person who was brought up in the boomer, the real boomer era, uh, you know, born in the 50s, um, it's an adjustment, an adjustment to see people uh, out and about living lives that would have shocked my parents' generation, shocked me a little bit still to this day realizing that everybody has the right to live the life they want to live and it doesn't affect me and shouldn't affect me in any way. But there still is a visceral reaction. I do, do the grocery shopping for my house because I have the most time available. And plus, uh, I like to buy the shit that I know I like to eat because uh, if I leave it up to other people, they're going to buy stuff, brands and stuff and types of stuff that I just don't like and then it gets wasted. So I want to do the <laughs> control freak, maybe. New Year's Day, I'm shopping. And pretty empty. New Year's morning. 
and I'm in the shopping uh, uh, grocery store, and this what I think is a girl in front of me. I think, damn, that's tall for a girl <laughs> wearing high heels, yoga pants that cut off at the knees, and like pantyhose underneath them, and high, and like six inch heels, and probably about six foot seven in those heels. And I'm like, whoa, maybe it is a guy, but it, it, the the shape was very feminine. Put it that way. But uh, come around the other end and I get to see the face and the face is wearing a mask. He's wearing a mask. She's wearing a mask. They wearing a mask. I'm not sure what pronouns they want me to call them. But it's got a beard like a, that 60s, not 60s, the 80s, 90s, that uh, scruff beard that women thought looked hot on men. Got one of those, but real, like a Bluto beard, you know, not bushy beard, just scrubble. Dark black scrubble all over the face. Like, man, you go in all that trouble to fem yourself up, to um, look like you took hormones or something to get your body in a shape that is very femininely, um, feminine features body-wise. And then you let your face just go like completely bluto. And it just, it just I, I have to be honest, I genuflect. <laughs> because that's my response. Now I I'm not being hateful there. I just uh, it freaked me out, and I think a lot of us do that. Doesn't mean I'm homophobic. Doesn't mean I hate them. I respect your right to live the life you want to live. I got to try not to look at you though. I, if I'm completely honest, I can't look at you because ooh, it freaks me out. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who look at me just as my normal self and say, ooh. And you have every right to do that and not want, not want to look at me and avoid me. doesn't mean you hate me or maybe you do hate me. I don't care. <laughs> but the, the, the fact is, it's, well, the point I'm trying to make here very clumsily is it's natural for people to take a while to be able to adapt to all new world circumstances, new, um, new paradigms, new ways of thinking. And new culture, cultural changes. And so that does not necessarily make you a homophobic or transphobic or any kind of phobic. It just means you're, this is new to you. And it's an adjustment to make. And we don't have, all have to share the same space. We have the right to say, no, that kind of, that's uncomfortable for me. I'll go over here. You go over there. We'll be okay. I'm not going to attack you. I'm not going to. Uh, deal with any of that stuff. I haven't said I shaved last night a whisker with the color of your mustache, dog. With gray and white. Is my mustache gray and white? <laughs> I I got needs some. I got to get some just for men. It's generally um, it's it's a maintenance thing to keep it from being pure white. If you see people my age, they have white beards, white white. And you see somebody who my age who doesn't have a full white beard, they're coloring it. They're coloring it. Uh, I know people my age who have full heads of black hair. Mm, no, <laughs> not real. So there's that. Oh, uh, you know the line I told uh, when I first met Stanhope. He said I look really young. 
we were talking about music and he said, oh, you got the same uh, musical references that I have. You must be my age. And he asked how old I was. And I said, 61 at the time. And he said, he was surprised. He said, wow, you look younger than that. I said, it's the mustache. Don't let it fool you. There's this dying in the mustache. But I also told him that I had written a Chaley and said, what do I have to do? Who do I have to blow to get Doug Stanhope on my podcast? And and now that I had him on the podcast, I was worried that uh, somebody might want to take me up on that. And Stanhope's remark was, don't worry. He doesn't want a blowjob from you and get all that head, uh, mustache dye all over his prick. <laughs> Good comeback, I thought. Anyway, uh, where was Oh, on the transphobic stuff? So just because you have a reaction to trans people or even public displays of affection between homosexuals of either sex, either gender, does not make you a homophobe. It makes you old sometimes. It makes you um, maybe sheltered uh, in some ways culturally. It makes you uh, slow to adapt perhaps, but it doesn't mean you hate people. And I think we're too quick to, to call to slap the label transphobic or homophobic on people. That was the whole reason I got on that rant. Now, COVID, I want to talk about that because a couple of things. First of all, do you think lying liars <laughs> are using COVID uh, as a way to call in sick when they don't really have it? Do you think that's the case? Because I'm suspicious in that way. Yeah, uh, Kevin, I got to agree with Kevin. Wait, I'm going to go back a point here because Kevin has a, a, a good point here. It's okay to be taken back. Just don't say something awful simultaneously. Uh, I got a great story from work. We had traveling. We had a traveling tech in to help out, and she used to be a he. And they didn't tell me and tell me and pet me. I'll let you discover uh, my own that she she had a beard, etc. <clears throat> And <laughs> that's for fuck's sake. I don't know your name. Please tell. Please let me know your name if you're so inclined. You don't have to, but I don't know what to call you by. Uh, <laughs> and Ken says, uh, "My wife has seen it at her job." Yeah, no, it. it you know, I I first saw it I, when I worked for the cult. There was a guy, John, who I was friends with. John was one of the uh, teachers at the cult, but he, I was friendly with him. And they used to take summer breaks. And I remember uh, when, you know, the last day of school one year, uh, saying goodbye to everybody. And John would, you know, John gave me a hug, you know, shake, handshake and hug and all that. And uh, we were friends. And then he came back at the end of summer break as a woman look like himself like the male self he still had you know obviously in, a, in six weeks or something like that not gonna see major changes but he didn't want to know me at all he wanted nothing nothing to do with me they act like we were totally strangers like we never met before that was kind of and that was um i want to say early 90s uh, so 30 years ago, and very, very hard to make those transitions around people who've known you your whole life anyway. So, um, Jack, welcome, Jack. Um, 
what is Craig saying? In the initial psychosis of COVID, I went jet black and then red, dark brown, then black, and then fuck it. And now you have the um, Superman's dad look. <laughs> I love it. I actually love it. You definitely look like, uh, and I can't remember, Yorel, Dorel, whatever the hell the guy, Superman's father on, on that planet he came from. Uh, the Marlon Brando, young Marlon Brando, um, master <laughs> planetary, interplanetary guy who was sending his son to save him. That guy. <laughs> uh, I'm reading some of the comments uh, in, in the chat room here. I, I'm, I'm only an uh, instructor who hasn't had a quarantine nor a case of COVID. I'm about to flip the switch, though. I, I got no extra cash for being a good employee <laughs> this year. No, I'm asking because I'm going to put this out there. I don't care. People know I'm a dick, and especially my band knows I'm a dick. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'll tell you, um, we got a, a gig, that unexpected gig. We're supposed to be off this weekend because the week after New Year's is, is typically so fucking slow and hard to get people to come out. We always take off the first weekend after New Year's. But on Long Island, the clubs have had a rash of band canceling due to COVID, whether it's because a member of the band got COVID or they were paranoid and didn't want to come out and spread COVID or get COVID, you know, all these kinds of different reasons, but lots of cancellations. Clubs are desperate. So we got like five or six calls. Can you play Friday? Can you play Saturday? Can you play Friday? Can you play? And uh, we decided we would take one. And we thought it would be Saturday night. And then our drummer said he couldn't make it. He had prior obligations, whatever. Okay. Can you make Friday? Yeah, I guess I can make Friday. So we booked Friday. And then uh, within a couple of hours, he said, I got COVID. Texted. I got COVID. And Mikey, who was, um, who's had COVID and nearly died from it back in the beginning, is sort of a conservative fella. <laughs> and he's like, well, it's Omicron, man. Five days, you should be fine. And he, this is a guy who, uh, he's an administrator in a, in a uh, facility for older folks for uh, rehabilitation and assisted living and all that kind of stuff, nursing home. And he said, well, five days. That's five days from now. You should be over it by then. <laughs> and and the waiting period here in New York now is five days for people without symptoms. So he said, do you have any symptoms? Now, keep in mind that the drummer has had it, had COVID before. So he had, should have some immunity. He's got, been double vaxxed and, and boosted. So if anything was Omicron, he should have pretty mild symptoms. Mike, he said, do you have any symptoms? Oh, yeah, they're terrible. I'm coughing and I'm coughing like crazy and it's terrible. But he's texting all this stuff. Now, me, I'm a dick. I, we've established this already this morning. And I'm like, you should call him. <laughs> because you should, if he's really got these symptoms, you would hear it in his voice immediately. This is me being suspicious. And Mikey's like, nah, nobody would lie about uh, COVID as, as calling sick and, and make up COVID. No. I'm putting it out there to you guys. Do you think anybody would ever call in sick have you, uh, for, for COVID? I'm reading uh, some comments here. Craig says, 
uh, here you're out of uh, action pending testing. If you want to work, you have to get a manager approval, but that's pretty easy to get if you really test positive. But uh, the, the question is, if somebody just calls in and says, I tested positive, I got COVID, do you think anybody ever would be lying about that? My uh, my contention is, yeah, sure, people will lie about anything. I've had people lie about their. I had this guy Wayne one time when he was he worked for me many years ago, twenty five years ago, almost thirty years ago. But he called in uh, for for his grandmother's death three times in a year. Grandmother died three times in a year. Well, that's, I guess it's possible if you come from a family of divorce or something and remarriage. But generally, we with we have two grandmothers. All three of your grandmothers died in a year. Uh, it's a fucked up bad luck run. So I'm a little suspicious, and I'm a dick for being a little suspicious, but that's that's my nature. Ken, I, I didn't see your... your no, I was replying to your question regarding people using Rona as an excuse not to come in. I didn't see any, any of your... Oh. Oh, that... When you said, yes, my wife has seen it at her job, people using uh, Rona as an excuse not to come in. I got it. Okay. Um, how do you know? Are you like me? Uh, is she like me? Like she called and said, I don't hear him being sick. I mean, how do you know? Or you ask for it. Let me see your uh, doctor report and a doctor's note or something. Anyway, I'm just wondering if it's the case that people are doing that. And I, I say, yeah, I say people, the human race is capable of lying about anything. Well, uh, this is an ongoing discussion. So I, I told Mikey, well, if you, if you really had that, if I really had it, I'd call you. I wouldn't text you. This is what makes it suspicious. And plus, I, you know, we have a 20 really, 20 year relationship, 21 year relationship that, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Anyway, uh, let me read a couple more comments. Uh, well, nobody woke up sick today. We were supposedly past the incubation period of Omicron now. Supposedly it's a 72 hours. Well, that's kind of, this was it's like three or four hours between, yeah, I'm going to do the gig, and no, I got corona. And I feel terrible, and I got all these symptoms. Like, wait a minute, you said yes to the gig four hours ago. Yeah, obviously you weren't sick then, were you? I don't know. Matt doesn't seem to be letting me in this into the session. Oh, this is Dave. Uh, let me see if I can really clicking this link. Hold on a second. I'm trying to do something for Dave. Maybe he clicked the wrong link. Dave's having a problem getting in. I'm sorry about all this stuff. Let me see. Uh, uh, remote working now for life. Uh, yeah, me too. So if I, if I need a day, I take a day. Yeah, well, me too. I'm a remote worker for life, except for when I, I'm not. <laughs> uh, wow. Odd. Very odd. Uh, not being able to get in. Streamyard.com. He's in the background. I'm looking at this and why he can't seem to get in. Um, wow. 
Damn. Uh, give me one second. I'm trying to help Dave out. I'm not sure what's going on there. I'm sorry, folks, for the for the quiet. I, I'm one of these people who have a difficult time walking and chewing gum, so uh, typing and talking <laughs> in that category for me. Uh, Jack David says, "Thankfully, all the people uh, who have called in are the ones I don't want to see <laughs> anyway." I could have wrote uh, you the list of people that would call in today, last night, myself. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, Dave's not here, man. No, Dave's not here. Issues with Dave. Yes, issues with Dave. And it's not brother, it's not Dave the messenger. I thought it was, because the guy's name is Brother Dave, I thought people might think um, I was referring to Dave the messenger coming back. No, Dave, Brother Dave is a musician, a uh, friend that I met on uh, the gig the other night. He actually opened up for us and then ended up um, sitting in with us for about two and a half hours out of the four hours that we played. So I got, I'm th I'm not sure how I can help Dave get in here today. Um, uh, we're gonna keep trying. Anyway, I'll keep talking while 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 hopefully we get this worked out. Anyway, maybe I should just give him the phone number and let him call in. Wouldn't be better to see his face though. <laughs> uh. Top TV and film book of 2021. Uh, wh what do you mean? Are you, you got an award or something, Ken? Uh, well, congratulations if that's what you're saying. I'm I'm guessing that's what you're saying. Um, sometimes the uh, chat stuff can be. Um, gonna spend some quality time getting Ken's book bendy today. I like that phrase, bendy. Uh, don't just don't get the pages stuck together, okay? Uh, and I'll be reading that in a few weeks. Whoa, Chad! Good morning, Chad. Chad has a a like he's like me. He's got a a stack of books that is in this list of waiting stuff to read. Now, the other question I had about COVID, and I don't mean if I'm being a dick or just stupid here. Believe me, I'm okay with it. Call me a dick. Say. <laughs> Call me a dick, call me. I'm just reading Craig's uh, 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 coming. Oh, we see uh, the top of his head. <laughs> uh, anyway, Brother Dave is here. I just want to follow up on a thought before I, I welcome uh, Dave into the program. And again, if I'm being a total moron about this, please just say, dog, you, you're really being stupid about this. And I don't mean to uh, offend anybody. And you know how I don't usually have a problem with offending people. <laughs> uh, but I'm curious. Yesterday, a girl who used to work for me, a young girl, a young lady who used to work for me, gave birth. Hey, congratulations to her first daughter. And her her young husband outside the room that she's in took a picture of her holding her newborn. And she's wearing a mask. 
holding her newborn. And I, this is minutes, 20 minutes after she gave birth. And I'm thinking, first of all, that baby was inside you 20 minutes ago. You're wearing a mask to protect her from your breath? Does that make sense? I mean, I, I understand you want to take every precaution and sure, it's probably protocol, but it just seems a little over the top. This baby was part of you. This is a human being that was part of you 20 minutes ago, and now you feel the need to wear a mask so that it doesn't get sick from your breath. Just uh, Am I the only one who is confused by this? Just putting that out there, and if you want to comment on it after or while I'm having the discussion with Dave, and I'll come back to it. But I just think that's really, really very strange that I could see maybe if a day had gone by and the mother had gotten a chance to contract COVID or something, doesn't want to spread it to the baby. But this is the same room they were in 20 minutes ago when the baby was taken out of her body. Strange, like uh, just a very, and I'm not saying don't do it, please. I'm not trying to enforce my will on anybody or, or or any of that stuff. I'm just trying to understand it. Like, are we being just a little too scared? Anyway, as I, we've discussed this morning, uh, and uh, people know this because before I met Brother Dave, I talked to you about uh, our first interaction with him and. Uh, basically, the way it works is this, uh, and I, I discussed this earlier on the program today. My first meeting with uh, anybody in life is generally uh, a bad impression for me, for them, not for me. And I do it on purpose. I let people see the worst I can fucking be to say, well, this guy is a dick or not. Don't waste my time if you're going to discover I'm a dick later in life. We can't be friends. Why bother being friends if if at some point you're going to see the real me and say, wow, that guy's a total dick. I admit I'm a total dick right up front. And I will show you my dickiest side just to say, this is me. If you can take me as I am, well, let's deal with it. And so Dave uh, wrote to me and said that he was going to be uh, doing the early set at a place called the Garden Grill that we play, and that he was going to be uh, performing on the breaks that we take and wanted a set list. And I wrote back to him, well, we don't take breaks, which we don't because I'm an antisocial prick, and uh, we don't have a set list. And then I said, and kind of I had to explain myself and saying, listen, I'm a dick on purpose. Uh, but here's the reason. <laughs> here's the reason we don't take breaks. I don't like, and I explained this to you all, folks all last week, how I don't like when we do take breaks that people want to come up and be my best friend, all drunk and all slobbery. And there was a little bit of that, even though we don't take breaks at, at Garden Grill or anywhere. Uh, people just come up and want to get a little touchy-feely and all that kind of stuff. And you don't want, I don't want that. I, I don't deal well with it. So we don't take breaks. If I took breaks, they'd, it would be constant. So we don't do that. And and because we don't ever have a set list, we just basically, what do you feel like playing now? What do you feel like playing now? Uh, and But Dave took it with uh, humor and, and took it in the perfect way, passed test number one. Then we come, uh, we start playing, and 
and Mikey says, come on, sit up, uh, sit in whenever you want. And Dave went to get his pedal board. Now, we were talking about pedal boards, and I'm going to talk to Dave about this in a minute with, with uh, Carl that morning. And I said, I was saying about, man, pedal boards will overcomplicate things for me. I don't really use them. And so when Mikey said to Dave, come on, sit up, he came bringing this pretty big pedal board. And I just looked at him and I said, is that absolutely necessary in my dickiest dick voice? And Mikey kind of he started laughing. He had to put the mic away. He said, this is it. He's fucking giving him the mind dog treatment. And Mikey said, he's either going to do one of two things. He's either going to laugh or he's going to he's going to uh, put the pedal board away and come and jam with us. Well, I don't I didn't see him laugh, but he did put the pedal board away and come come and jam with it. He's fucking great. He was fucking great and uh pleasure to play with him. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears and open your minds and help me welcome in the fabulous brother Dave to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Hey, man. How you doing, man? Uh, how are you, brother? I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm surprised I'm like this uh, coherent this early in the morning. I'm usually not up this early. I, I, I didn't. Most musicians are not. Uh, morning people and it, it believe me it's a struggle for me uh to be a morning person but i do it because uh, it, it's uh it's a time when most other people are, are more uh active mentally wise anyway and more engaged in something like this so right, right. so thanks for coming man i have oh, to tell God. you uh, I listened to your single. I have the CD in the car. I don't have a CD player in the house, or I would be playing uh, the single "Lonely and Blue" tonight. Very good stuff. It, it, is Thank that you. is that something you recorded at Sabella or not? Um, "Lonely and Blue" was actually recorded at Big Orange Sheep in Brooklyn. Right. Um, but we have a few tracks at Sabella Studios that we need to finish, and we we did overdubs and we did a lot of mixing at Sabella Studios too. Um, I I don't think uh, Sabella worked on the mixing on that one, um, but on the next couple of singles, he did help us mix it. Uh, we have a single coming out called Madame, um, which he helped us work on, and then we have a couple other things. We have the song called Road Trip uh, that we got coming out pretty soon, um, and that's all Sabella. Wow, uh, and he's got some major credits now. Like when, when I, I I first went to him. I think probably 40 years ago. I'm oh, serious. really? Yeah. And he was, it was like an eight track and then he got 16 tracks, but he wasn't, he wasn't a named producer and a named engineer with like major credits then. Okay. Uh, but he he definitely knew what he was doing, uh, yeah. but it's good. I've seen the evolution of people who've gone to his studio. So that's a, a pretty good guy to work with. Yeah. You, oh you, my God. Amazing, man. Let me tell you, Jim Sabella is amazing. And Matt, the engineer that we worked with, Matt Murphy also, man, freaking stellar first class i mean you know the experience of just mixing i've never had such an energetic like mixing experience <laughs> at a studio than i did there i felt like i was on like a nuclear submarine wow oh and yeah it was intense because like they're playing the song and it's not like they're just sitting there fiddling with knobs like they're going to like these like circuit boards and fiddling with relays and jim's like plug the condenser into the spasm master into the flux capacitor and everything. <laughs> You know, it's like all these wires go. It's like it's like an old school telephone board. Like when you look in the fifties and people were plugging things in to connect people. Yeah, like, it's insane, man. And it's like, and they did this. They repeated this process like a hundred times. Right. Until they got the sound that they're looking for. They had all these reverb and delays they added. I mean, they really made us sound like a million times better than we really sound. 
Well, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because everybody has home recording studios now, and I'm sure you have one where yes. you could just do like demos and stuff like that, and and sure. even even some stuff you might put out for release on streaming services and like. But as the more DAWs and things like that make it easy, the more you look at real producers doing the real uh you know wiring stuff as as you talk about and right. onboard and offboard stuff and you say wow it's not really as simple as most people uh, think it is. definitely not i was like i was like wow man you know i mean and it's all it's a lot of his analog too you know he uses a lot of analog gear he's got like this really like this amazing um what do you call it a uh, console right right i mean it's like old school i mean it's like yeah i think he's got a nave last yeah. time i yeah um so, but your sound now is not like an overproduced sound. You keep it pretty simple as far as the instrument instrumentation, right? It's just uh, one guitar, or is it two guitars? I one guitar, uh, but I know you probably do multiple tracks, probably in some instances. But one guitar, bass, keyboards, and drums, right? Well, so let's see. On Lonely and Blue, we had. Um, I know we had at least a lead guitar, a rhythm guitar, and a lap steel on that. Um, I played the C6 lap steel on that for some background stuff. And there might have been um, maybe one or two other guitar parts just to kind of fill out the sound a little more, like they're like really not doing a lot, you know, but that's something I like to do in the studio. And also when I'm layering parts for looping sometimes, just like kind of see how much sound I could fill out with just guitars, you know? Yeah. Um yeah. Now, uh, you are a really good player, I have to say, a very, extremely impressive and uh, a unique vocaling style. Now, uh, I want to talk about both now. A guitar, you know, it's, I hate to even use the word influences when you're talking to a musician because it's such a cliche question, but uh, your styling reminds me of people that I have in mind. And before I tell you who uh, your, your playing sounds like, I just want to... Um, get a bearing on whether I'm even on the right ballpark with you. Who, 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 um, who do you, would you say are your greatest, you know, guitar heroes? Oh man. Well, it's hard to kind of try to condense that in, into like a, a paragraph. But I'll, I'll well, well it, I, obviously there could be a lot of people. I'm just yeah. talking in terms of influencing the way you play now. Right. Well, okay. Well, it started off with like, you know, Clapton Hendrix, and then I got into like Buddy Guy, BB King, Freddie King, Albert Collins, um, and then I also got into some of the the um, like Delta acoustic blues stylings, like Robert Johnson, Mississippi Fred McDowell, uh, Skip James, you know, um, and then I got into like um, um, uh, you know like some, and then I started getting into like uh, other types of stuff like. Um, you know, Deep River Blues, Doc Watson, you know, and then I started getting into get guys like Chet Atkins. Um, and then I started getting into guys like Django, uh, Joe Pass. All right. That's uh, where Joe that's Chris. where I that's where I would have uh, uh, said, you know what, this guy has some some Django influence in there yeah, and, and the Joe Pass stuff, especially from what I've seen of you live. Now, that it doesn't sound what I've heard on your records and I've looked at some of your uh, your video it does seem more blues oriented and that stuff but there was a, a, a heavy bit of jazz uh, in your soloing stuff and uh mikey mikey who's not a uh not schooled in this he said wow he's got them cool little fingers <laughs> 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 meaning skinny fingers because i got these fucking sausages you know 
right. You make him work, brother. <laughs> Not really, no. But uh, man, you guys were kicking ass that night, man. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, I think that was actually probably our, our worst musical what? gig in a long time. Yeah. Well, because uh, I, you're aware that I, you know, when your instruments are not working right, and you're not you're playing with gear you're uncomfortable with on a gig for, and it's the first time you've done it, it can throw your whole game off. And sure, so, yeah, I, I forgot that you were at, you were having a problem with that first guitar you were using. Right? Yeah, and then and then when there's a really good player in the room, it even fucks with your psyche a there little was? more. Who was it? I didn't see him. Huh? There was there was a, who was it? I didn't see him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, jeez, I'm sorry. I, you know, I didn't even realize you were having problems with your guitar. I would have offered to let you use my Martin. I didn't even realize. It just I, I love the humbleness uh, uh, and the humble attitude. And uh, I, you know what? You really impressed me with being able to put up with, with my dickiness right up front. So what I, are you I, talking about? There wasn't any dickiness. No, I, I, I definitely am. And I do it on purpose. I mean, uh, as I mentioned to the audience, I mean, basically, this is my way of saying uh, I'm going to be a dick eventually. So why don't I put it out there as as Front, front, up front as possible, so you know you can handle me or not. And if and if you can't, that's fine. But if you can, then we can we can be friends and move along. And I'm glad oh, you did. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't think of that as being a dick. I just think of that as being honest and putting your cards on the table and just like you know. Well, I appreciate kind of that. Like putting it out there and being who you are, man. That's yeah. it. You know. Now, as far as vocal stylings, yes, you have a very unique vocal uh, styling, and it, you sing with a lot of compression. Uh, and, and again, uh, I'm going to come up with uh, a blues influence here, and it, I don't want you to take any offense if you don't like the guy, but I'm thinking Chris Robinson. Uh, I hear that. Oh, uh, Chris Robinson from the Black Crows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love his singing. It's, uh, it's who would who would you say are vocal influences for you? Um, vocal influence, I would definitely say um, Greg Allman. Oh yeah, I could hear that definitely. Yeah, yeah. Greg, he Chris, sings with a lot of compression too. Yeah, I like he does. that. Does he does? And like honestly, I no idea what the hell that means. <laughs> <laughs> well, it means when it's like it's like you hold you you have the power from your diaphragm, but you hold it back to control it a little bit to control the I volume, guess, and it yeah. comes out sounding raspy like that. Uh, um, uh, whipping pose. Right. You know that right. <laughs> that okay, yeah, when he's okay. singing when he's singing died on the whip right, 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 tied right, to the right, whipping right. boat. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess that I guess that is kind of what I do. I mean, I have like I've never like you know like my vocals are just like kind of like you know um, definitely self-taught, and you know I um, I just kind of try to make it sound uh, you know decent <laughs> you know for me. You know what I'm saying? It's like I. Um, like I just try to get the notes across and the best tone that I could produce. So that's the way it sounds when I do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, you know, Greg Allman, a big influence on, on me vocally, uh, Chris Stapleton, Chris Cornell. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Um, wow. Chris Cornell definitely. And then a lot of the blues guys like Buddy Guy, BB King, you know, yeah. Freddie King, they were also big influence on me vocally as well. You know? Right. Um, are, you, are you a Bushwick guy? You live in Bushwick or? No, but I was born in Brooklyn. But the band that uh, the band, the Bushwick Blues band that you heard the single from, that band is kind of based out of Bushwick because the guys live around there. Yeah, a lot of artists in that area. A lot of musicians, a lot of artists, a lot of photographers and film stuff going on in there. Definitely, a lot of movies, a lot of movie work too. Which right, can't yeah. ask if you're trying to park. Yeah, <laughs> trying to get to the studio and they take up the whole block. You know what I mean? Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, film studios down there. I've worked in in yeah. some of them uh, too. Oh, really? So. It is a happening artistic scene. Now, I'm always um, 
curious about how that happens, how a scene develops, like where all these artists decide this is our community, we're going to take it over and push the normal people out and just to make this a creative, creative hub. You have any insight into what what it is about that area? I have no idea. <laughs> right, have, it's, it's just a. <laughs> It used to be a slum, and people just said, okay, we're all going to come here and, and get creative together and make it a community like that. But it happens all pockets of that all over the country. And yeah. when I see it, I'm always surprised by it. Yeah, it's interesting how that happens. I mean, like, it might have something to do with economics, like as things get more expensive in the city, like everything gets pushed out from yeah. the city, like radiates out, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, pretty soon Riverhead, you know, they're going to be in Riverhead, you know? Right. <laughs> Now, yeah, uh, tall buildings in Riverhead, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, Riverhead was a ghost town. I I worked for a uh, TV production company in Riverhead 10, oh, yeah? 12 years ago, and it was a ghost town. I, I used to go through there every day, and every store on Main Street was closed down. Really? Now, the theaters are coming back. The uh, Suffolk Theater is a pretty good show hub. All the stores are starting to get filled up. Mm. There's a marijuana dispensary there, which I go <laughs> three times a week. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> but it's the only place on Long Island that really has, well, I shouldn't say that. There's probably one in Huntington Harbor or something that has oh, yeah? a dispensary, too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like but, um, no, it's coming back. So, yeah, and it all has to do with the artistic stuff that was going on there. So maybe that is a key to rejuvenation. Go figure, right? You know, when you start putting, like, uh, culture and arts into places, people go there, you know? Yeah. So are you going to play for us a little bit today? I see you're holding a guitar. Yes, I mean I'm always holding a guitar, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. My wife, my wife used to say, "I wish I, I wish you would at once hold me the way you hold that guitar," because <laughs> I never, never seem to let it go. Um, we'll, we'll just hold up on, on that because I want to talk to you a little sure. bit more before before we yeah, hear yeah, from sure, you. Sure. And I also want to play one of your videos that, uh, after you know we sign off at, at some point oh, okay. uh, for for the people to get them uh, uh, to be more familiar with your work. Oh, cool. And, and it's brotherdayblues.com. I should have that in the in the scroll. I will put it. It's in the description, and people awesome, want to thank check. you. Yeah, that's the website. You know, got all the information on there, all the links, everything's up there. You know. Now the looping, uh, yes. Mikey. Mikey was really impressed because when he walked in, you will you had the looper thing go. You mm -hmm. were you didn't have it going then. Well, you were playing uh, a song, and then all of a sudden you started to be able to solo, and the rhythm didn't die. And he looked at me. He's like, "What the hell is that?" I said, <laughs> "It's got a looper, man." I, and but uh, I know how difficult. Uh, Maybe it isn't for you. Maybe you've had enough experience with it. But for a lot of people, when they're first starting out with loopers, um, how difficult it can be to really get that perfectly synced up a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of practice to do. Uh, tell me about your technique with looping and, and, and how, because you seem to do it. I don't even see you like triggering the thing. You seem to do it effortlessly. Uh, tell me about it. Well, the thing with the looping, um, you know, it's a lot of fun for me. You know, you could do a lot of stuff with it. Like usually on gigs, um, it depends on what kind of gig I'm doing, but I usually kind of keep it simple on the gigs with the looping. I just give myself like if I'm singing and I feel like taking a solo, I'll start looping while I'm singing the verse. And then when I'm done singing, it's like the chords are still going, you know. So right. like I'll start looping when I sing the verse, and then sometimes I'll let the loop keep playing, or then I'll cut it out. But I like to be free with my loops. I don't like to pre-record them. I like to kind of keep it spur of the moment. Um, sometimes if I get into more trippier soundscapes, you know, like I'll um, I'll start layering pieces. But the thing with looping is like it's delay actually helped me a lot uh, with getting my loop going. So like I have my carbon copy delay pedal here. 
Do you hear the the? Yep. Right. So it's like, so that's like my beat. So one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. So I let the delay actually. So I work with the delay to kind of create like a very solid time feel. And I and I and I try to make it very simple at first. So like for someone like this. So if I were to go. And that's it. You know, and then like I could get like as crazy as I want with it, you know, so I could put stuff on top of it. Like, so now while the loop's going, I'll hit the pedal again and the light turns on red and that means I'm recording, right? So I'll go. And now that part's playing over, so. So that's basically it. You know, you try to give yourself just like a one measure phrase and make it be like one, two, three, four. And then the thing also is like, like with your foot, you know, it's like you got to get used to just like tapping right on those four beats. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know? that's that's a question because I fucked up. I have fucked up, which I I don't use a, a looper anymore. One fuck up will make you you scared to use it again. So have you yeah. ever have you ever fucked up? Oh, all the time. <laughs> oh my god, I fucked up probably a hundred times on that gig when you were there. You know? But the <laughs> thing is, you just keep playing, and if like if you hear, you got to get used to also hearing the loop separately. And if you hear it, it sounds a little fucked up. You just shut it off and just just keep playing. Oh yeah. You know. Um. But yeah, it, it's also good to give yourself like an extra like it's four measures are like I, ideal for a loop. One measure is too little because then it's like when you start putting these things in, they're like too close together. You know. Right. Yeah. yeah you want to yeah. give yourself four measures because then it really could breathe and then it doesn't it doesn't sound like a loop that way. You know what right. I mean? Do non-musicians know that's what you're doing, or do people just think like you're superhuman? Like, wow. <laughs> um, I don't know if people notice. <laughs> well, they know they notice that you sound like a full band, and and there's no full band. It's usually you uh, or you and another guy when you're doing the acoustic stuff. So, yeah. it, but the fact that most people can't, unless you're you know Tommy Emmanuel or one of these guys right, who right. who have just like. 12 fingers or something you can't really have all that going on at once most people like i think that registers with them like wow this seems magical well i mean every <laughs> now and to then, mikey that's <laughs> every now and then people ask me they're like oh what what is that going on there it sounds like you have another guitar and i just i'm like yeah i got a guy that hangs out in the back i can feed him <laughs> yeah. and he plays rhythm for me every now and then you're out lip syncing we know you're just faking <laughs> it out here yeah Exactly. Uh, tell me a, bit, a little bit about your percussion player, because he he was pretty impressive to me. The the feel that he has for, um, first of all, we threw some pretty strange arrangements at, at him. I didn't know what he was coming. In. He pretty much hung, ran a stop sign or two here here or there, but for the most part was like right on the groove of everything. Where'd you find him, and what's his name? And and tell, tell well, us about him. Mark Rouser, um, great percussion, a super nice guy. Uh, we're playing at Courts and Taps in March. I think it's March 25th. But um, yeah, Mark Rouse is a super, super nice guy. I met him on a gig that I was doing with Johnny Nail, who is a Long Island um, original singer-songwriter, plays guitar, great singer. He writes great material. We're actually playing at the Garden Grill next week, next Thursday. And I, that, with him, I played mostly pedal steel. Um, uh. 
So, but Mark Rouser showed up at one of our gigs and just had his stuff with him. And Johnny invited him up to play and we jammed and we hit it off. And I said, hey, Mark, you know, anytime, you know, uh, the invitation's open as it is with you. You know, like I tell my musician friends that I enjoy playing with, I say to them, look, the invitation's always open. If you see me playing somewhere, you want to come down, bring your axe, whatever that axe may be. Bring a guitar, bring your percussion because I'm going to I'm going to drag you up there. Cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, with, but the thing with Mark that's cool is that it's very hard to play with a percussionist while you're looping. Right. That's why. I, that, yeah, that's part of uh, where when I said the fuck up, because it's not you. I can understand if you're just solo. But when you have somebody else who has to keep time with it, especially a percussion player, that's where you're getting tricky and you're getting risky. And, and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, it gets tricky when you start looping live when you're playing with other people. Because right. then they really got to listen and they got to learn to listen only to the loop. You know, because the thing is, when you're soloing, like a lot of times you might be like playing a little bit behind the beat or in front of the beat. And it might be purpose. It might be not on purpose. You know yeah. what I mean? But there's going to be like little fluctuations when you're soloing. And, and it, it, it's got to be like that because your soloing sounds more interesting. Yeah, That's, the, that's how a soloist, you know, kind of comes across. It's like you don't want to be soloing like. You know, that doesn't really sound interesting to do that for like, you know, however, however long, you know, you've got to have some variation, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, are you, are you um, a school musician? Did, did you go to school for it and, and get the, you know, do get the uh, jazz degree or composition degree or any of that? I, kind of... I wish I, I'm primarily self-taught. I do a lot of self-schooling. I go on YouTube a lot. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah. And I no, you, you of... seem like an educated, uh, you know, from at least, at least the understanding. Cause I, you know, and it's not a put down, bears. not a put down on a lot of people, uh, but there are a lot of blues guitar players, well, people who play a lot of blues stuff who only know major and minor chords and all that kind of stuff and it seemed like you you were well versed in in musicality and uh i know i've seen you do a uh kind of jazz uh take on uh, all of me uh, oh yeah yeah so yeah you seem like a guy who probably had some jazz schooling at some point it's good to what? get to it's know you sometimes Oh, thank you, man. It's all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> but it's yeah. like, you know, when it's like when you learn the stuff and you dive in, you start learning about all that stuff through the song. You know, the song teaches you like basically all. And then the, like however you want to approach playing that song, you listen to how other people do it. And then so the one thing like, you know, I, th I try to do is like this concept of like the lesson in the lick. Like what is the lick trying to teach you? So if you learn a lick, right. like what can you learn from that lick as far as like, I don't know something that you could take towards something else and apply it to something else you know what right I mean? yeah do you teach i do yeah because that's a great philosophy to, to to kind of impart into young people or even not, not even so much young people uh, people who are learning the instrument at any age really just that whole philosophy of uh learn what is the what is the song trying to teach you what is the lick trying to teach you yeah yeah, yeah. See, like, not only that, but see how many lessons you could get from just that one lick. You know right. I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know? um, and that's a lot of jazz jazz players have that philosophy, too. It's like, you know, the, well, there's there's not a lot, you know, a lot of jazz players, like a lot of them, like, focus on technique. But a lot of them are like, the song will teach you technique, you know? Like, if you try to learn, like, a Charlie Parker solo or a John Coltrane solo, trust me, you're going to learn a lot of theory trying to learn that solo. You know? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Are, you, are you a fan of Beato? <laughs> Beato, he's very cool. He's very interesting. I, I like I like to listen to some of his stuff. I like Quist. I like Jens Larson. I like Andy Wood. You ever listen to Andy Wood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, Andy Wood I like a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, you mentioned Pedal Steel, and I saw that on your card, and uh, it, I know from, because I had one for a while, like, oh, it's, yeah? the, it's the hardest instrument in the world to learn to play. It's a uh, why i mean because you don't think you don't think of it because uh, i know why i had it because i was writing a lot of country looking i was doing a retro country uh uh character bit at the time and wanted to get as authentic as possible you don't hear a lot of it in blues music are you a country fan where did the pedal steel come from oh i love country i love country but i also love slide guitar on blues Right, um, I can understand I, slide, but but yeah. it's not the same as as you know working all the pedals and the reverb and volume pedals and all all that kind of stuff and the the touch you have to have in order to do that, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, pedal pedal steel is is a bear, but um, I find it more comfortable for me to play slide on the pedal steel now than it is even for me to play slide on a regular guitar. Uh, that's just me, but I, I play blues licks on the pedal steel too. I like to play blues on it also, but I definitely love country as well, you know? And um, also when I play electric guitar, I have a lot of pedal steel influence in my electric playing too, yeah. you know, cause like I'll bend a lot of strings like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, a lot of tele players love to learn that and mock the pedal steel stuff when you know, on, on yeah. telecasters. For some reason, like you don't see Strat players or Gibson Les Paul players doing that that much. <laughs> Not really, but yeah, you see the telly guys do it a lot. Yeah, definitely. I think the telly lends itself more to that kind of playing. I don't know why, yeah. but it might have something to do also with the volume and tone knobs. You, you could get like some cool swells. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, <laughs> nice it's a stuff. harder to do on an acoustic, you know? Yeah. So I mentioned your pedal board uh, because... When I the night before the night we were getting ready to go to the gig, I was explaining to my audience uh, how I don't like to take gig uh, take breaks on gigs because the people come up to me. And uh, actually, one woman was really harassing me that night. Mikey got. I remember. Video. Oh my god, I felt so bad. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> she was but, just like, "Oh, she was like, you were a very good sport about it." I gotta tell you, man. <laughs> I not, not, I was impressed with a lot of things that night. And that was one of them, how you handle that situation, my friend. I'm telling you, man. I take lessons from you on that. 20 years of dealing with it, you get used to it. But uh, uh, that morning, Carl, uh, who's from Wales, uh, was on the program, and a comedian from Wales. And he Uh said to me, he used to be that guy who would go up to to musicians on break and say, and want to talk about their pedal boards. And so we got into this whole discussion about pedal boards and how, for me, I in a band I can understand it, but acoustically it's it's like wow, I'm gonna fuck myself up here if I try to do too much. <laughs> but uh, can talk to me about what's in your pedal board and and what you uh, what kind of uh, gear you, gear you put in there. Well, I try to keep my pedal board pretty simple. Actually, the most important pedal for me is my volume pedal. Right. I noticed right. You, you took that's the one you took out. Not, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, really, that's really the most important pedal for me, especially when you're playing acoustic because you don't have your controls right there on the guitar. So you got to actually stop playing to manipulate the controls. And that I don't like, you know? Yeah. So I use the same volume pedal that I use for my pedal steel. It's a good rich. Um, and then my pedal board, I really keep it simple. Honestly, like for the for the gig that you saw me, I play an acoustic. My main pedals for that are my tuner my uh delay and my looper do you like delay more than reverb i like them both but i like delay a lot too especially like i said well not so much these days for looping 
But like when I get into ambient loops, when I just like kind of create soundscapes from like and play one chord, but it's all about the layering, you know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the delay really helps with that, you know. But then other than that, I have two overdrive pedals and I just leave everything on the pedal board. I know it seems complicated, but it actually makes things simpler for me because it's like, you know, I just plug in and my tuner's right there, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, you know, but like a lot of times when I sit in with people. I don't use the pedal board, but if I have like a clip on tuner, I'll put that on. You know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. I, I need to check my tuning a lot because like I bend the strings a lot. Yeah, me and, too. Uh, me too. I, I mean, a lot. I, I think all of us ha have to deal with it. And that's the biggest problem with the kind of gigs that we do where we're not taking breaks. We go right. one song into the other and like I'm starting a song and like three three notes in, I realize I'm out of tune, but I'm not going to stop now. I've already started. Right. the, So I have to play this song out of tune. I got to figure out a way that I can make yeah. this work without hitting that one string that's out of tune. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that, could, be, that could be a challenge sometimes. Absolutely. Totally. But, you My, know, the looping helps me with that too. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, so you, you know? can you can just loop it and then uh, start to tune it. To while loop exactly. It. Like sometimes I'll just go. You know, and then while it's playing, I'll be singing and I'll be tuning while I'm while I'm singing while that's playing. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Cool stuff. Um, and I now, lastly, before I, I ask you to play a song here. Um, Thumb pick. I noticed you play with the thumb pick. Uh, I've, I've talked to a couple of people who uh, do finger picking and don't use like uh, what's traditional Travis picking. Uh, but some guys who use a thumb pick and not really use it in that way. I noticed when you were doing before we came up, you were using the thumb pick. I did not notice you using a thumb pick while you were playing with us. Were you? I was. Yeah, I use this for everything. You use it for everything, even yeah. when you're playing with the band when you're doing the full. Wow. Yeah, when I play electric, I use this. I can't use any other picks anymore. Once I started using this, that's it. But use the other it seemed that would be really difficult, especially when you do some of that speed work that you do with what Mikey calls your little fingers. Uh, <laughs> thin little fingers, he calls them. But <laughs> when you're playing these fast licks, and I'm thinking, man, that's got to be really tough to do with the thumping. I, it, you know, it, it, for me, it's a little clumsy. Uh, well, how did you adapt to that? Well, yeah, it's funny because, like, Traditional thumb picks are very hard to do that with, but what I use here, this is a Fred Kelly. I'll try to put it closer to the yeah, yeah, over camera there. <laughs> there you Where go. Are we? There we are. There you go. Yeah, yeah, we can yeah. see it. Okay, so if you notice the ah, uh, yeah, 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 it's shaped like a, more like a regular pick. It's a little bit smaller than a regular pick. It's almost it's like, like a smaller. mandolin pick. A little bit, yeah. It's like kind of a cross between like a regular guitar pick and like one of those jazz guitar picks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About? Yeah. Right. And then you notice it's got this kind of like thing right there. Yeah. So yeah. It allows you to. Sorry, I'm trying to do. To, yeah, I see it. It's so like you can hold it like a regular pick and feel like you're holding a regular pick. And, yeah, yeah. And this button right here allows you to pivot it in any direction you want. If you want to slant it a little bit. Wow. If you want a little more of the pick to stick out the bottom. Never see seen that. that before, man. See, Never. I can pull this out like this and make the pick stick out a little more towards the bottom. Yeah. So this is a uh, Fred Kelly uh, Bumblebee teardrop. So if, you, <laughs> if anybody, if any pickers out there, or if you're interested in, like, uh, just to go on their website, they have a lot of different types of picks. Um, but this is the one that I use. And the thing that, that's why... I could use it like a regular pick um, is because of the way that the pick is designed and shaped. Right. It allows me to kind of just like hold it like a regular pick. If you like, 
look yeah. over here. Like yeah. I kind of hold it like this. Right. Got you. Know? Um, I I don't hold it like most. I think lead guitar players where they like kind of um, have their first finger. Like I'm trying to just do this with the camera here. It's a little yeah. No, yeah, we get so, to like, pick well, it. I think a lot of guitar players kind of keep the pick a little closer to the thumb, and then yeah, I could do this. The... Oh, okay. Yeah, that kind of helps. Yeah. So like, if you notice, like I think a lot of lead guitar players kind of like keep the pick a little closer to the edge of their thumb and use the index finger more that way. But that doesn't really work for me, so I just kind of hike it up a little bit closer to to yeah. the to the joint there. Yeah, I got it. Right, and then I um I kind of um push the index finger a little bit back a little bit instead of keeping it in the front there, you know. But like you know, like a lot you know, some guitar players play like a lot of the gypsy players kind of hold the pick this way too. Right, and also if you ever listen or looked at Frank Gambale. It was like a fusion, like kind of like rock yeah. guitar. Yeah, he kind of holds the like a regular pick this way, you know. Right. And Chet Atkins also um, did like flat picking with the thumb pick, but he would sand sand the uh, the edge of the pick down so that it wasn't as much sticking out. Because you know, like on a regular uh, thumb pick, it's got it's kind of like skinny and it sticks out a little bit. Do you do any hybrid picking like uh, like Greg Koch and and Tommy Emmanuel does a lot of that too? Where you're doing yeah. Well, the thing is with hybrid picking, it's like hybrid picking is from when you hold a regular pick and then you use these two fingers, right? right? Yeah. And that's a very cool technique if you're if you're like if you like to use a regular pick. For me, it doesn't really work because, and I don't really need to do it because I don't need to hold the pick anymore because it's on my thumb. Right. So it actually, it's actually better for me to just let the pick go and just use these three fingers. Right. Kind of like a banjo player. You know, so if I want to do banjo. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, you know, it's it's better for me to let go of the pick and just kind of like just use the three fingers separately rather than holding the pick and then using these two fingers hybrid. But that's an amazing style. I mean, Andy Wood is great at that. I mean, you know, and of course, like Danny Gatton would play like all these Chet Atkins things using hybrid picking. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But, um, I, yeah. I don't know if I'd call what I do hybrid picking because I'm just like, you know, uh, like I'm just like such a big nerd like that to me, hybrid picking. It's like specifically means like holding the pick this way and using these two fingers. Right. You know, so, so I guess maybe sometimes I'll do it by accident, but I don't intend to do it. You know? Gotcha. Yeah. Well, it's cool stuff. Whatever you're doing, you know, it, basically it always comes down to this. As long as you're making music, people don't really care what, what techniques you're using or how you how you're getting it. So it all comes down to the final result. Is it music or not? And definitely exactly. I mean, you, you use whatever works for you, you know, right. like. Like a lot of the gypsy guys would look at what I'm doing and be like, what the hell are you doing? You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, but like, I'm not like trying to fit into any camp. I just play the music that I love in the way that I could play it. You know? That's interesting because, um, and I've talked about this a lot, authors and uh, musicians, particularly among the creatives, is that the the industry, the marketing people want you to 
want you to yeah. fit into a box. They want to say, uh, Brother Dave is this, and he's always going to he, he want he's a McDonald's cheeseburger with <laughs> onions on it, and he's always going to be a McDonald's cheeseburger with the same number of onions on it in the same package. So you know what to right. expect. But you're not that. You're you're all over whatever you like. It's, does that make uh, being a successful full time musician harder on you? I mean. You know, I think that there's a bridge that needs to be gapped between those two things that you just mentioned, like just trying to be an artist and trying not to be described in a box in any way. But then at the same, at the same time, how do you market it? Right. You know what I mean? Because it's like I, I could see that problem and I don't have an answer, <laughs> you know, but I, that's why I think tribute bands are very popular right now, especially on Long Island, because it's like you look at the ad and you know what you're going to get exactly what you're going to get. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, you're going to go. These are the songs that they're going to play. It's like, OK, because nowadays it's like people need like, you know, you're looking on your phone. Where am I going to go tonight? Or if I'm going to go anywhere, where am I going to go? It's not like they're like, you know, when I first started playing in the 90s, people would go to a place to see what's happening. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Like I... you, didn't, you couldn't look to see you, you didn't know who was going to be there or how many people were going to be there or what they're going to be playing. You just showed up. Yeah, I think the paradigm changed on the venue owner's mentality. Like in those days, or even before that, when you know, decades earlier when I was starting, uh, venues had the idea of establishing the identity of the venue and right. having people understand that there was always going to be quality music there, you, right. uh, no matter what. You were going to like it, <laughs> no matter what. Right. They were going to have a quality act there for you, yes. and then it became. No, it's really up to each individual uh, artist to bring their following to that club every night, which changes the whole dynamic and all that kind of stuff. And that's a whole discussion for another day. Maybe we yes. can have you on the yeah. evening program sometime and we could talk right. about the industry and all that stuff. Sure, yeah, definitely. Uh, that, but, yeah, that's a huge, huge problem these days with live music, especially yeah. local. Right. Yeah. I want you. I want you to play a song for us. But you have. Uh, you are one of these people who actually has gigs on their calendar, and not like because uh, I do have a lot of in the era of COVID, people who have websites and their calendars are empty. I know you have a gig tomorrow night. You want to plug, plug and anything you might have coming up this week or in the near future. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, tomorrow I'm playing at uh this restaurant in uh, Port Chester called Saltaire. Um, really nice place. I played there once before, and they have a lot of great music there too on Wednesday nights. Um, Friday, I'm playing at a really nice restaurant in Lindenhurst called El Pozo. Um, I don't know it, and I should know Lindenhurst. But, uh, is, okay. is it, no, I'm sorry, Lynn Brooks. Oh, Lynn Brook. Oh, yeah. Well, I know that, too. My wife is from there. Oh, yeah, I know the place you're playing in Lynn Brook. Yeah, that is oh, a really? nice place. Yeah. Nice place. Very nice place. You know, Dominic, super nice guy. Super nice. Um, you know, he's the guy that, um, he's the owner and manager there. Um... Let's see. Uh, so, yeah. So tomorrow uh, is at Saltaire. Friday's at El Pozo. Saturday's at the Wild Rose in Farmingdale. Oh, I know that place, too. That's, uh, you know, that seemed like an interesting place because I've been there uh, for lunch and it didn't seem like a place you could possibly have live music in it because it seemed like, you know, it's completely set up as a restaurant, no area for people to play. But then if uh, the later lunches you see and they had like drag queen bingo coming in the night nice. I was there for lunch. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is interesting. This place turns into a nightclub somehow. Uh have yeah, you played I've never been there before. Oh, well. Yeah, the first time there, yeah. Uh, I, it's a good, but it's weird. It's it's in an area that's all industrial. Really? So I'm wondering how people find it. I guess they have to know the place or something. It's really in an industrial area. It's on New Highway, which is in the middle of, 
I mean, factories and, and warehouses. And that's that's basically where this thing is. It's a lunch place well, for the workforce that, that work there. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know how they find it, but I hope they do. <laughs> well, I'm sure you do well there. And we hope people will go see you. BrotherDaveBlues.com, folks. Brother Dave yeah. Blues. I'll, link's in the description. Uh, and uh, I will put it in all the... Uh, you know, uh, all the the areas where you'll find this. Thanks. If I could just mention one more gig, um, Sunday um, after my church, I play bass in a church band. And then after that, I do a brunch gig at this place called Daisy's in Patchogue. Oh, yeah. Um, Daisy's in Nashville, right? Yes. Yeah. Daisy's in Nashville Lounge. Yeah. So I just want to mention that I've been doing that gig every Sunday. And that gig is kind of like a, sort of like an informal jam session. I oftentimes have musicians come and join me on that one. Well, well, I'm actually, gonna come I, check that one out because that one's not too, that was like not too far from my house. And Sunday afternoon, it's like something oh, I could do. Please do, man. Bring a guitar, man. We'll jam. Yeah. I actually mentioned you. I gave your card actually to um, to the manager because like I was so impressed by you guys' set, and I <laughs> I noticed that you guys played a lot of country. Yeah. And, you know, so I I gave your card to them. So you know, if uh, you're interested, in, you know, they'll probably be reaching out to you. But uh. um. Yeah, I said to him, I was like, these guys know a lot of country, man. They're super cool, super upbeat. And so, but anyway, yeah, Daisy's Nashville Lounge, man, is a super cool place. Really looks nice on the inside there, man. They have like all these posters of like Johnny Cash and uh, Chris Stapleton. They actually have a stage for musicians wow. there. Wow, that's unusual in these days. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Well, I appreciate that, and I I hope people will come out and support you, Dave. I think uh, I I think the world of of your music and your uh, your talent and your ability. Now, uh, what are you what are you gonna play for us? Well, I was thinking I'll play this song. This is a song called Madame, um, and it's a song that um, I wrote with the Bushwick Blues Band um, with my musical partner in that band, Chaz Rio. He's the bass player and kind of like the. Uh, administrator <laughs> you know you needed somebody with an administrative role he's good at that stuff yeah unfortunately that usually falls on me i hate that stuff good for him but God it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah but uh super cool guy really great bass player you know um he's actually a doctor um he's a patent uh, he's like a like a patent engineer or something like that i don't even know what he does but uh but he, and he plays really great bass and he writes a lot of these songs with me with the bushwick blues band so this is a song that i wrote with him it's called madame okay Goes a little something like this. Wait, let me let me solo you. Uh, sure. Uh, how do I do it? Right here. <laughs> cool. She comes to me 
to me The unfortunate part of this stuff is you can't hear the audience applause when you're doing these kind of shit. It's kind of weird. You just stop and it's like, huh? Well, very cool stuff, especially in the morning. I know, I know how difficult it can be to be perform in the morning. I've had to do some morning gigs in my life, and just like, oh man, I'm a night person. Musicians are night people. <laughs> Me too. Oh my god. I had to like really struggle to get myself to bed last night so that I could wake up and try to <laughs> Well, I appreciate that you taking that extra effort. Thank you. <laughs> oh man, thanks for having me on, man. It's a pleasure, man. But yeah, I know what you're saying, man. It's like especially singing in the morning. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's rough. That that brunch gig at Daisy, sometimes it's like whew. I have you to know? share a video with you at some point of uh I had a gig. I, I used to do grand openings at Stop and Shop all the time, solo acoustic. Like, really? And go and do, like, jazz stuff and w walk around, and that was cool. Guy called me up. He said, we're having a grand opening in Riverhead. We mentioned Riverhead uh -huh. earlier, uh, of a Stop and Shop, and we need a band. Can you get, get me a band? Now it's for Sunday morning at uh, 10 a.m., wow. and, and they need a rock band 
for wow. uh, for the corner between the pharmaceutical and the beer. Uh, wow. <laughs> so straight from last night's gig. Yeah. And yeah. basically, uh, that's what it was. It basically, because in those days, the gigs were ending late at night. And uh, so I put together a small band, a little three-piece uh, band, and we set up in the corner. But people were just getting out of church on a Sunday morning and walking by and like, what the fuck is this fucking band doing in the supermarket? <laughs> Bizarre gig. But, um, yeah, 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 it's hey, one of those. It's a gig, you know what I mean? Yeah. I want to play. Uh, now, there's so much on your, your website that I could play uh, good stuff and um, – uh, I want to play Bacon Blues, I guess. Uh, you want? Oh, okay. You, you want to? I mean, you could pick any one. If it's up to you, but I like that one, and, and that one, uh, it just seems like a very well produced video. I want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, th Thank you. This was not done on a gig, right? You were in a studio or something. Um. Okay. Wait. Which video is? It? Oh, yeah. Was that the one at EKO Studios? Uh, it looks like a, a studio gig. Lighting is perfect. The camera moves are all perfect. Like like there's a director working on it, like three camera angle. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> that was done at EKL. And yeah. um, where is that? Deer Park? EKL. Oh, yeah. Yeah, EKL Studio. They're great over there, man. Wow. A lot of fun to work with, too. Uh, so are, is there one in the works for for the new Bushwick Blues Band single, um, the uh, Lonely and Blue? Yeah, we're working on a – we're um, – yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're, I think we actually have a video out for that. Um, I, I didn't see it on the website yet, so I, yeah, I would have played well, that one. It, it's being edited, I think. I don't think it's like it's like I think we had to like bring it back to fix something, but um, but we have a video coming out for that, and then we have um a couple the next couple of singles we're working on videos for that. Like we did a video for Road Trip, um, which is a a single that's going to be coming out I think next, um, and that's uh, we had Junior Marvin collaborate with us on that one from All the right. Whalers. And he what? played some guitar in that, played some great guitar in that. And we did a video with him. That was Right. You you perform with him a lot, right? I see that there, you did some gigs with him. Or it seems like you were a part of the band, no? Yeah, he had me come and do a few gigs with him. He took me to the Cayman Islands with him. And there was like a gig in Virginia. We played, actually, we played at um, Revolution. Right. I, that's, there's a video of that on your website, too. Yeah. I'm yeah. surprised that club is still, because they, they're one of those ones where you never know what you're going to get. You can get a screamer metal band one night and then a blues <laughs> band and a reggae band, all that yeah. kind of stuff. It, it kind of makes it a little weird to kind of know what you're going to get when you go right, there. Right, right, right. <laughs> but it also makes it interesting, too. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I definitely am one of these people. I can't listen to the same thing over and over again and just be tied into listening yeah. to one thing. So I yeah, appreciate yeah, yeah. that. Especially, I mean, I could listen to the same song like over and over for like days and days, and people to the point where people look at me like, "Dude, there's something wrong with you, man." Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, but like, well, that's because you're used to learning stuff that way. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I get that. Right. But to to kind of just stick with one bag for like six months or something, no, no, I, I, I I love to like have different genres and listen to different types of stuff. You know. Well, cool. Yeah. I like to mix it all up too. I like to kind of like get my blues a little jazzy sounding, and sometimes with jazz get a little bluesy sounding, or country stuff gets a little bluesy or bluesy sounding, you know. Yeah, the uh, of the the Dave thing, <laughs> the thing <laughs> uh, because uh, you're probably not aware. I'm sure you're not aware of this. So a couple of weeks ago, I had a Dave issue. Uh, brother Dave, Messenger Dave. That's so why I want to, before I let you go, just ask about the name. Dave was a guy who was going to prove to me the existence of God. He had, he had absolute, uh, he was going to present to my audience uh, absolute proof of the existence of God. Dave, the Wait, he, he was called Brother Dave too? 
Yeah. Well, we were calling him Dave, Brother Dave and Dave the Messenger and all this kind of stuff. Okay, so okay. when I when I told people Brother Dave was going to be on the show, I I think some people out there, especially on the audio side, probably, oh, not that fucking guy again. Uh, the Brother brother Dave part of that, is there any religious significance to that at all? That's funny, because, like, people started calling me that, like, in different circles, so that's why I kind of, like, adopted it. Like right. this guy that I used to work with named Frankie Paris, great jazz blues R and B singer from New York. Um, he was an amazing singer, and he used to call me brother Dave. He used to call everybody brother, whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But then I was working at like at a job site I, when I did construction before I did music full time. I did construction. Yeah. And this is kind of a weird story, but I'll tell you anyway since you asked, right? So like I'm work I'm doing construction job and like part of my job was like to clean up the job site. They wanted me to sweep. They're like, but listen, we want you to use water when you sweep because otherwise the dust is gonna get in the air and we're gonna breathe it all up. All right, you yeah. got it? I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, no problem, you know. So I'm like, well, how am I gonna use water? I'm like, I just they didn't tell me how what to do. They just said use water. I'm like, okay. So I just came up with my own method. So I I took a five gallon bucket filled with water and I took my broom. Right, <laughs> you're gonna laugh. But like, okay, anyway, I'm going to tell you anyway. So I had a five-gallon bucket that filled with water, and I took a broom, and I dipped the broom in the, in the water, and I flicked the broom like this to get water on the floor so that there'd be water on the floor but not puddles because I was like, you can't have puddles on the floor on a job site, right? Right. You know? And, like, the floor would get a little wet, and I would scoop up the dirt, and there's no dust. I'm like, okay, great. This is a great method. I was kind of proud of myself. I was like, hey, you know, it's good, right? And then one day this guy was walking around. I was like, Hey, brother Dave, what are you doing? Blessing the place. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I'm like, hey, this guy calls me brother Dave, too. So I guess I'll, yeah, I'll uh, use that, you know? Cool. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm Jewish. I didn't. I never went to church. I didn't know that that was, like, a thing, you know? Right. With but you're playing... You play, I, I, I kind of, uh, from your last name, at least what it is on Facebook, because I saw a, a whole different name on your website. What I didn't even ask you about that. But I assumed that you were Jewish. But and when you said I play in a church band before, that was kind of surprising. <laughs> play bass. How does that, how does that, how does a nice Jewish boy from Long Island uh, end up in a church band? I don't know how things like this happen in the music business, but things like this happen all the time in the music business. Yeah. You wind up in places. And doing things, you're like, how the hell did this happen? Like, what am I? I'm playing pedal steel in a country band. Okay. Right, right. No. <laughs> but yeah, no. But uh, you know what? Uh, and uh, I hate to sound like uh, somebody who's a general who generalizes, but the best blues players on Long Island are Jewish guys. That's absolutely <laughs> a fact. <laughs> absolutely a fact. <laughs> that's so funny. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> well, you know, like you know, Ronnie Earl, man, he's a great, he's a great, uh, great blues player. He's Jewish too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah there's right. something, you know, you can go down the list, but uh, Long yeah. Island, because Long Island is known for white blues boys, right? Uh, definitely. <laughs> but the only good, most of the good ones, most of the good ones are Jewish. There's a few, uh, like Phil Barker, who's not Jewish, but uh, <laughs> yeah, most most of the ones I I've known over forty years, uh, the best blues players on Long Island are Jewish guys. So. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> anyway, That's funny. Dave, it's been a pleasure yeah. to have you here. Oh, I'm going to play Bacon Blues, uh, and I will see you Sundays. Thanks for coming, man. Sounds great. Looking forward to it, man. See you soon. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Now, that Brother Dave, folks, now the song is called Bacon Blues, but not bacon, like 
bacon and eggs. <laughs> now, why would a Jewish guy be having bacon blues? No, this bacon, B-A-K-I-N, was a hyphen on it. Let me uh, share the screen here. I'm going to play it right from his website, if I if I may, because I didn't have time to actually uh, download the clip. So here we go. Um, Oh, 
Fucking awesome, man. Fucking awesome. Um, if you enjoyed that, a lot more uh, where that came from at BrotherDaveBlues.com. Hope you check out Dave's work. Dave's a great guy, man. Uh, again, uh, thanks you for him for uh, putting up with the dog and being a good sport about everything. And uh, nice interview there. I hope to have him on the evening program sometime doing it in-depth about music industry stuff and uh, how difficult it really is to be a full-time musician. Part of why I started the Mind Dog TV podcast originally was to encourage people to do what they wanted to do with their lives. Too many people, I think, going to jobs they hate, living career, careers and vocations that just uh, are not um, not what they want to do with their lives. So, uh, And Dave's a guy who's doing it. You hear it, he, he was working a miserable job in construction and said, fuck it, I'm a musician. I'm going to live the life of a musician. But it's a difficult thing. It's not an easy transition with every decision that you got to come some sacrifice and hard work and putting up with bullshit and putting up with assholes like me and all that kind of stuff that goes along with it. So, uh, you know, kudos to Dave for for actually doing it. Great stuff. And um, part of what he said there, you know, how these things happen with musicians, sometimes you have to take those church gigs and stuff. It's part of the part of the life. And for me, Taking the supermarket job, uh, you know, playing in the supermarket with the with the band is part of it too. Um, you want to live the life, you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do, man. So good stuff, uh, and appreciate uh, all the kind of um, this stuff that you know info that Dave shared with us about his experience, and I hope you enjoyed that too. Uh, tomorrow, I might be having uh, one or one of three different comedians call in, and I'm not sure uh, because I put that put out this blanket inv- invitation for uh, some comedians, and they all said thank you, and they would be taking me up on it this week. I'm not sure how I managed this when I put out a blanket uh, um, invitation and everybody accepts for the same day. Could be a difficult one. So I'm not going to say who's going to be on, but I'm expecting at least one of the three comedians who i've talked about being on tomorrow's program uh to to join me and we'll see about that where were we before dave uh joined us Uh, i think i was talking about um the covid situation uh and here on long island as i mentioned uh before that we were having bands not, not venues uh canceling gigs on bands but bands actually uh canceling due to covid for one reason or another whether a band member has covid or an older band member is afraid of getting covid or uh just that that whole you know paradigm but the week after new year's and some some people just said fuck it it ain't worth it the the weekend after new year's is going to be a dead week anyway nobody feels like going out and partying 
seven days after they had like a massive party and well, burnout from the holidays and all that kind of stuff. So it could be that, which is why I, I talked about the possibility of people calling in sick uh, with fictional COVID. <laughs> imaginary COVID, or I just don't feel like coming to work today, COVID. Musicians are uh, no different than every other employee in that regard. They, they will call in sick from time. I may lie in bed all day. Boy, I'm, I'm trying to get caught up now uh, with, with the chat room. A lot of stuff going on in the chat room while I was talking to Dave. You people keep it going. Thank you. Uh, um, we're talking about Ken's book. I should mention Ken's book again. Well, since uh, people in the uh, and I, I wasn't sure uh, earlier. I think I saw something of, about uh, um, best book of twenty one, best television book of twenty one. I'm not sure if that was an award given or just a little bit of bragging. But either way, we'll take it. Uh, Pine Barren Stratagem will be available this month, later this month, uh, in paperback. It's uh, you can get a signed copy from the author. Ken Harris himself, or as I like to call him, James Inman. Um, you can get a, a signed copy from Ken himself. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, Ken writes. Oh, wait, no, is it Ken writes? Let me get. Let me make sure what I have uh, the actual uh, for Ken. Hold on one second. Just give me one second. Where are you, Ken? Ken, if you're there, maybe you can help me out here and, and shorten this. Uh, because I should have you here somewhere. Uh, I got Ken right next to Nina Hartley somewhere in my bookmarks. <laughs> Ken Harris, O-A-O. It's a long one. It's 08025 writes at 08025 writes on Twitter. Uh, contact him through there or through uh, his website. And uh, tell him you want to order the book because the signed copies uh are for a charitable cause our friend andy is going to be dealing with some thank you ken <laughs> oh here it is it's at 08025 rights um and uh our friend andy is dealing with some uh medical issues he's going to need some uh dough to help him through the aftercare program which uh which you know insurance just generally doesn't cover and so ken is donating 750 from every sale of, of, of the book of a signed copy you're not going to get signed copies from amazon folks only from the author himself and he's donating 750 from every sale of, of the signed copy books to andy's aftercare uh great stuff there and thank you ken for doing that for andy anyway book is gone again one the pine baron stratagem just find ken on twitter and, and hook up with them there and buy it there uh, uh, Kevin is saying uh, Ken's handwriting is better than mine too I bet you he had his wife write it <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know what Somebody send me one of those samples I'm going to get a sample of James, James Inman's handwriting And compare We're going to get to the bottom of this shit Right here, right now uh, Not right now But soon send me, send me a copy of Ken's handwriting I want to compare I will get Inman to send me a copy of his and they better match. Better not match. But I have a feeling they will match. Because you can only you can only keep these great conspiracies under wraps for uh for so long before it all comes out. <laughs> Kevin is taking me seriously. Uh he's gonna he's gonna tweet it to me. I was just kidding about that. I don't really uh for uh 
I don't really, for the for reference, I don't really believe Ken and James are the same person. I've had them both on the program. They don't even look anything like each other. Uh, <laughs> they're not this one and the same person. Uh, but it's fun to have some fun with people and bust balls like that. And so that's why I do it. Anyway, uh, what the hell? What the hell is this? Oh, nice. Thank you, Carl. Carl sent me a link to that pic that uh, that Dave uses, which uh, that's an interesting thing. I never saw that before. Uh, I've seen a lot of thumb pickers and been around Nashville uh, enough to see a lot of thumb pickers. Never saw that particular uh, kind of um, gizmo. Uh, The full cast and crew podcast came out with their list of best film and TV books of 21. Well, congratulations, Ken. Really, I mean that sincerely. Uh, you got to be some kind of badge or something. You can use this in marketing somehow. Uh, put that on the website as a, a, you know, something to be proud of. Absolutely something to be proud of. Congratulations. Um, you know, I would take out all, all 21 and just ever. <laughs> ever. Um but that's just me. I, I, w- I would just put like an exclamation point to list the best film and TV books, exclamation point, exclamation point. So you're not dating it then, and people will always uh, think it's uh, relevant even 10 years from now. <laughs> anyway, that's just me. Always thinking marketing ahead of the game. I can take down this uh, Brother Dave Blue fan banner now uh so i guess that's kind of the program for this morning uh that you know there was all the shit that i wanted to talk about today a lot of shit i wanted to talk about covered a lot of it covered the Pat and oswald stuff um oswald i'm a little curious so you know what do you think about that um apologizing for your friendships seems like a, a, a fucked up thing to me you know, just if you want to go meet with Dave Chappelle, go meet with him, hang with him, and, and be grateful. Take the picture, and then let let it just be. People got a problem with that. That's their fucking problem. It's not your problem. But then to have to make an apology for having that friendship, I would cut you out of my life completely if you did that to me. Uh, if if I ever saw somebody saying, uh, I know people don't like Matt Napo, but uh, I, he's a friend of mine, and I, I have my reasons for being friends with him and making an apology, a formal apology for being my friend. I'd call him up and say, listen, you prick, go fuck yourself. Get out of my life. You're not my friend. You're a fucking phony. You're trying to play both sides of the field here. Either you stand by me or not. Just uh, trying to get your opinions on this. Now, again, and make it even more complicated when you see the fact that um, Oswald has more transphobic transphobic uh, material out there in video than Chappelle ever had. I mean, he's right out there uh, completely blasting away at uh, trans people and homosexuals and all that kind of stuff it, with, without seeming to have any softening of it. I mean, they're directing their faces, insulting about it. So, you know, who who's the who's the transphobe? More, I would say, Patton than Dave Chappelle ever was. And again, I, I'm one of those people who don't think Dave Chappelle is a hater. I think Dave Chappelle has a a perception of of the world as from from his prism of his place in life and what it took him to be as successful as he was. And uh 
you know, you can't know you can't know somebody else's existence until you walk a mile in their shoes. And unfortunately, I will never uh, walk a mile in a black man's shoes, or maybe fortunately. Uh, so to know that experience, and uh, Dave def- definitely comes at his opinions and perspective on life through the prism of uh his blackness there's no no doubt about it and so when he looks at um overcoming discrimination and he sees people who have dealt with discrimination and overcome uh, with an easier or a quicker path to acceptance into uh everyday life than his group has and he, he he wants to express that Sometimes he doesn't express it in a way that pleases everybody. Nobody ever will. Nobody ever will. That's the program today. I appreciate everybody being here and being part of the program. It's going to be, uh, you can't avoid more political stuff this week, folks. I know people are fucking burnt out on the politics shit, but here in America, we have an anniversary coming up, and both uh, political parties who just want to fucking control your thoughts, both of them are making pageantry out of it. Donald Trump will be giving a speech commemorating the anniversary. Merrick Garland, the AG, who was probably looking to prosecute Trump in some way, will be making a speech about it. We've had enough fucking speeches. But there is the politics of it is is ongoing. The um, lameness of the prosecution of the people that were involved and the conspiracy theories and the people who want to apologize for it and say it was no big thing and uh, just just turn to, you know, we have plenty of lessons from history. Right? You just can't just turn your, uh, you can't, just can't turn away from this and just ignore it and like it, it, like it didn't happen, let's move on. And we saw that with the second impeachment trial of Donald Trump that his party was definitely ready to move on. And we get a sense of that from Merrick Garland, who is in the other party, who was the AG, who doesn't uh, doesn't seem to be happy to be uh, <laughs> cast in this role at all and would prefer if we could just move on. I don't think we can just move on. Uh, I think it's way too serious a thing. And especially some of the conspiracy theories need to be called out. I think Elmer Guy and the Ray apps. By the way, I uh, did get a call last night, very late last night, from Maricopa County, uh, Arizona, and I thought it might be him because I did call him yesterday and left a message on his business answering machine, uh, but it was another business, a telemarketer in Maricopa County. I guess somehow, um, uh, you know, who knows how the, the big tech stuff works, but it seems like once you uh, make a phone call with spammers or scammers and people who want to telemarket and, and call you without your, you're know, supposed to be on a do not call list, but they know where you called and they want to make it seem like, okay, he'll pick up if we use this kind of extension or if it says we're calling from here. So I did. I saw Maricopa County and I said, oh, Ray Epps is calling me back. Quick, pick up the phone. And it was a fucking telemarketer. Not uh, not trying to sell me a new warranty on, or extended warranty on my car. Um, other stuff. Uh, trying to send me on a timeshare type of thing or whatever. But it was interesting to see. and got excited there that I might be able to, wow, get a scoop on this Ray Epps guy and get him, at least record him and, and play it back for the morning show or, or something. Um 
New York, uh, Kevin said, New York seems to be 90 to 95, 95 to 99% done with the Trump investigation. Uh, what with them subpoena? Well, here's the thing about the fucking subpoenas now. Oh, God. Thanks for, for getting me all riled up two minutes before I got to go, Kevin. <laughs> Hillary Clinton. I hate Hillary Clinton. Most people in America hate Hillary Clinton. Unless you're uh, really, really just um, solidly aligned with the Democratic Party, you probably don't like Hillary Clinton. But at least she showed up for a subpoena and testified for however many fucking hours she testified for. If I was subpoenaed and didn't answer the subpoena, my ass would be in jail getting fucked by Bubba tonight. If I didn't uh, answer a subpoena today, if the same would be happening to you, I don't know about the bubble part, but <laughs> you'd be in jail for avoiding a subpoena. Uh, everybody in Trump's circle seems to be able to say, fuck your subpoena. I'm not paying attention to that. And no record. Nobody's ending up in jail. Steve Bannon is uh, going to be held in contempt, but his trial doesn't begin for another six months. Meanwhile, he's out there podcasting every day and putting out more messages about the uh, let's do it again. Let's rev up the engine and start a new insurrection. None of these fucking people ever compel with subpoenas and, and none of them are held accountable for it. Again, if it were you or and I, we'd be brought in today. The cops would be banging on your door. You have You have a subpoena to answer for it. How the fuck are these people getting away with it? There seems to be terrible way to end the program on an angry note. Seems to be two sets of uh, justices uh, in America. One for Trump and his, his allies, and one for the rest of us. Again, Hillary Clinton, hate her fucking guts. Hate her. Well, at least she fucking showed up when she was subpoenaed and, and, and did the... Whether you, whether you think she was lying or not, I thought I actually thought... And the FBI, James Comey, Comey actually said he thought she was lying, but she wasn't prosecuted for perjury. That's a whole other story. If you were I perjured ourselves in front of Congress, we'd be held accountable. We'd be going to jail for perjury. She wasn't. So maybe there's three sets of justices, one for the Clintons, one for the Trumps, and the rest for you and me. It just it, it angers me that, you know what, you got a subpoena, show up, say what you got to say. You can be defiant. You could take the fifth, do whatever the fuck you want. Uh, Kevin's thinking, help taking the fifth wouldn't help them out any. Um, I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't, maybe it wouldn't. I don't, I don't know about that. Maybe you're right. Uh, but they don't necessarily have to answer the question, but you should have to show up because if you or I had, I got the, the, um, subpoena we'd have to show up that's i guess that's where i'm going to end it today because we're two hours in and i do have to get ready for a show today i have a former navy seal i saw the navy seals are trending today uh because uh the navy seals have won a case where they don't they can use a religious exemption uh to get out of uh, having to take the vaccine or get kicked out now i have a former navy seal on today who's going to be talking about um being free for life, finding that inner balance between uh, your life's purpose and being fit and all this kind of stuff, mentally fit or um, spiritually fit, emotionally fit, and all this kind of stuff from a former Navy SEAL who looks kind of, if I have to be honest, picture like, makes him look kind of like a hippie. <laughs> How do you go from Navy SEAL, you got to be pretty much badass to be a Navy SEAL, to uh, hippie um 
bringing some new age philosophy to the world. It's a, a long stretch. Uh, good morning, Ralph. We're getting here just about time for me to sign off. Uh, good morning. Great to see you here. <laughs> and I guess goodbye. Uh, that's the program for today. I hope you enjoyed Brother Dave. I hope you pre- uh, patronized Brother Dave's uh, website. Check it out, brotherdaveblues.com. Lots of good music there, if you, especially if you like the blues. But uh, as we kind of touched on, Dave is uh, a uh, universal man when it comes to music, into a lot of different genres, plays them all well. I have to definitely say, um, the Greg Allman stuff was right the fuck on. I didn't even pick up on that until after he said it, but listening back to uh, Bacon Blues uh, definitely had some uh, Greg Allman influence in his vocals. So that's the show for today. Thanks for coming. Be with me tomorrow. Again, 9 a.m. we start, folks. 9 a.m. to 11 every day, and I'm all, I know I'm past 11 now, and I should be getting off because I have a 1 p.m. to get ready for a show. So until then, I'm Matt Apple for Coffee with the Dog. Join me for the Mind Dog TV podcast at 1 p.m. Or don't. Hey, if not, come back tomorrow. See you then. Bye for now.
me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.